Hello and welcome. You're listening to Southern Reverend, a podcast from a pastor in Georgia about the Christian faith, work in ministry, and life in the South. I'm your host, Joel Mooneyhan, and in this season of Eastertide, we are looking through the book of Acts and learning what happens when believers in Jesus speak up whenever they hear someone ask, can I get a witness? Whoever you are and wherever this finds you, I hope that you find something meaningful here to take with you. So get your Bible, open it to the book of Acts, and without further ado, here we go. More than any of the other gospel writers, Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, concerns himself with Christ's care for the poor, the marginalized, and the outcast, and how the resurrection of Christ empowers the justice of God in the world. And it makes sense. Luke was a physician, and so his heart to care for the afflicted is bound to come out in his telling of the story. And where the other gospel writers tend towards some of the more esoteric and heady spaces of the life and ministry of Christ, Luke keeps Jesus planted firmly in the dirt, side by side with people who the rest of the world would have otherwise abandoned. This theme of justice and care between believers carries over into the book of Acts, as we will continue to see throughout this series. This week's passage is Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. It's brief, but it's powerful, and revolves around the spirit of unity that existed among the earliest followers of the risen Jesus. It's the paradigm of the Christian concept of koinonia, fellowship with God and with other believers. It's more and more common in recent times to read this passage in light of 19th and 20th century political thought, but in reality, the koinonia of the early Christians that we see in this passage is nothing of the sort. Political ideologies which pit one group of people against another are antithetical to the message of Christ, who famously taught that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, and who left us the mandate that we are to love one another as he loved us. If a philosophy teaches violent overthrow of people in power or fosters a sense of distrust or animosity towards others on any ground, and even in the pursuit of some vague notion of a greater good, it does not reflect what we see here in the book of Acts. In the world of the first century, and especially in the Roman Empire, religion was very closely tied to ethnicity and location. Different people had different gods depending on where they were from and even where they currently lived. And they engaged in what you might call curse prayers. Archaeological excavations reveal a practice in which people would pray for the destruction of their enemies. But the early followers of Jesus did not subscribe to a belief like this that divided people into haves and have-nots. They didn't have a mentality of us versus them. And they didn't pray for the destruction of anyone. Rather than seeking the destruction of their enemies or exacting a price to level a score, Christians were motivated by the teaching of Christ to open their doors and make room at their tables for everyone. Their struggle was not to establish a utopian society, but rather to usher in the already existing kingdom of heaven.
The early Christians were so motivated by their faith in Christ and their care for one another that they voluntarily pooled their resources to meet the needs of their community. It wasn't forced, coerced, or even mandated, at least not in the sense that we often use those words. This was simply the natural response to the love and commands of Christ to care for the needs of others. The events of this passage take place in the wake of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended and thousands of people from all over the known world came to faith in Christ in just a matter of weeks. People of every nation, every race, every station in life, all were unified under the name of Jesus and the proclamation of his resurrection. Lines that had been drawn to divide people were erased, not by political force or violence, but by grace and mercy and love that values others as greater than oneself. As I read this passage, I'm reminded of a parable I once heard about a man who was allowed to take a tour of hell and heaven before he died. When he opened the door to hell, he was surprised to see a large banquet table spread before him with every type of delicious food and drink that you could imagine. But all the people at the table had long forks strapped to their hands, too long, in fact, for their arms to bend and get the food from the plates to their mouths. And they cried out in anger and frustration at not being able to feed themselves with such a wonderful banquet before them. It was a miserable picture. But when the man opened the door to heaven, he was surprised to see the exact same banquet table with the exact same spread of wonderful food and drink. And all the people gathered around the table had the same overlong forks strapped to their hands. But where the people in the door that led to hell were confounded by their inability to feed themselves, the people seated around the banquet table in heaven simply used the forks to feed the people across the table from each other. The world we live in is plenty enough driven by selfishness and skepticism and distrust of each other, in finding fault and laying blame, in dividing itself into camps of friends and foes. And if that's all we can see in each other, then we don't have much to look forward to in eternity. But the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom ruled by trust and care, by grace and mercy, by forgiveness and humility. It's a kingdom in which every person is welcome to be a citizen. And in a kingdom where everyone is a citizen, then there can be no such thing as enemies. The gospel of Jesus is a wild idea. People are skeptical of it even today, but that's nothing new. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthian church that the resurrection and the gospel is a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who answer the call of the gospel, both Jew and Gentile alike, it is a source of power and wisdom. The evidence of this is in the type of community that it created. The word for grace in verse 33 is the Greek word charis, and it refers to something that gives joy, delight, or encourages goodwill and kindness. In this passage, charis is tied to the witness of the apostles to Christ's resurrection. 
That is to say, the proclamation of the resurrection is what inspires true goodness in and through and between each other. So much so that our motivations become increasingly focused on the well-being of others. And if we who are alive today take the resurrection seriously, then it's worth considering. What is it about the resurrection that drives this care for others? When you think of Christ, not just crucified, but raised to new life, how does it change the way you look at the world? How does it resonate in your heart as you encounter those in need? And why? Part of it is that Jesus' resurrection is an echo from the future. It's a preview of the kingdom to come and a promise from God that this broken world will be made whole again, and his kingdom will come on earth just as it is in heaven. Theologians often call this the reality of already, but not yet. And if that's the kingdom that we're a part of, then this is how we, who are citizens of that kingdom, are called to act. It is our way of bearing witness. The good news of Christ's resurrection changes us. It causes us to think less often and less highly of ourselves, and more often and higher of others. When a community of people are gathered under the good news of the resurrection, it brings everyone together and lifts everyone up. It is revolutionary, to be sure, but not merely because of the new kingdom it seeks to usher in, but also by what motivates it in the first place. It refuses to see anyone as an enemy and it withholds its blessings from no one. So as we head into this next week in the Eastertide season, let us reflect on the way the good news of the resurrection impacted the hearts of those who heard it, who were inspired to look to the needs of others. And let's reflect on what it would look like where we live and work, what it would look like in the relationships that we have and the strangers that we encounter, what it would look like when we see someone in need if the resurrection of Christ became the motivation for how we treated them. If this week's passage is any indication, it might just be the start of something that truly does have the power to reshape the world and give a glimpse of Christ's kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. Thank you all again for listening. There are more episodes of Southern Reverend on this channel available on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And you can also listen and read more from me at my website, www.southernreverend.com. You can also follow me over on Instagram and Facebook at the handle Southern Reverend. And if you found this episode meaningful, I'd love it if you shared it with your friends, your family, your coworkers, total strangers, whoever. We'll be back soon for more in the series, Can I Get a Witness? Until then... Have a great day, take care, and be good to one another.